The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for being here today. Welcome, everybody tuning in online, everybody here in the room. It's great to be with you this morning. I know we've got some visitors. I know we have uh, the Fabres with us. I know we have, right there, yes. Uh, we've got Dan and Mary Jo Archer. Uh, they are somewhere over here as well, right there, former elder couple. So please, uh, if you have a chance, if you would look around, kind of scan your area, crane your neck, turn around, see if you find some unfamiliar faces, make sure to find them afterwards and make them feel welcomed in the name of Jesus Christ here at the Springs. I'm glad you're with us because we're finishing up our fifth and final Sunday in the Gospel According to Moses, Good News and the Torah. So I'm uh, very excited to move. We've been in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and finally we move to Deuteronomy to finish up this morning in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 13. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with your whole mind, your whole being, and all your strength. These words I am commanding you today must be kept in mind, and you must teach them to your children and speak of them as you sit in your house, as you walk along the road, as you lie down, and as you get up. You should tie them as a reminder on your forearm and fasten them as symbols on your forehead. Inscribe them on the door frames of your houses and gates. Then when the Lord your God brings you to the land he promised your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you, a land with large, fine cities you did not build, houses filled with choice things you did not accumulate, hewn out cisterns you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant and you eat your fill, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, that place of slavery. You must revere the Lord your God, serve him, and take oaths using only his name. Let's pray. God, we're gathered here this morning because you love us and you've called us here together. And God, we believe in these words that you've given us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, give us the power through the Spirit of Jesus Christ to sing your praises with our life, to walk in your ways and to remember your commands, to live for you and for the sake of the world. God, I ask you for the gift of preaching. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Some things are so important, they need to be said more than once. You can say that again, right? When somebody says something that we agree with wholeheartedly, so perfectly, so well, we say, you can say that again, right? It's so good, so important, so agreeable and true, it needs to be said a second time. Or maybe things need to be said a second time, because of the failures of the listener. I'm honestly not a great listener in groups. 
Uh, I can never be mad at y'all for letting your minds wander during one of my sermons because I do the same thing, and I've done it since I was a little kid. I remember vividly being in school growing up, and the teacher starts talking, and somewhere my mind goes elsewhere, and then she finishes up, he finishes up, they get done, and I ask a question, and the classroom bursts out laughing because the answer to my question was just stated five seconds ago. Anybody else been there? Sometimes things... (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Some things need to be said more than once because they're important or because we wander, because of the failures of the listener. We've been in numbers, and Israel has been wandering They've failed to keep God's commands and they've wandered around. And so God's word needs to be said once again. God's word needs to be repeated a second time. And that's largely what the book of Deuteronomy is. The book of Deuteronomy is in large part a repetition of all the words from God that have gone before. These laws, these commands and instructions for life They get said again in Deuteronomy. That's actually what the name Deuteronomy means. It's a Greek word meaning second law. Moses gathers the people of Israel. They're on the precipice of the promised land and he gives them once again the words of God because some things are so important they need to be said again, especially the word of the Lord. And our text this morning begins with something that is said twice. Actually, it's said twice daily in Judaism because it begins with the central prayer of Israel known as the Shema. So moving to verse 4 of our text. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. That opening word here is the Hebrew word Shema. And this is the first half of that Hebrew prayer, the Shema, that the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. There's one God, right? Israel doesn't serve this panoply of warring deities like the Enuma Elish that we talked about about a month ago, right? The world wasn't created by these warring lowercase g gods. It was created by the one Lord Yahweh, who tells Israel, reveals to them, the Lord is one and I am your God. A buddy of mine named David told me a story a couple weeks ago about a time where he's been working with a Bible translating company called the Seed Company. And he had the opportunity to go with them to a place in India called Bihar. And there are a lot of languages in the world, you may not have known this, that still don't have the Bible actually in their mother tongue. We're getting close to reaching that, but one of the languages that they were working on is called Angika, and it's spoken in this Bihar region of India by about 700,000 people, but it's kind of a language of the lower class in the sense that you can't even really speak it in the marketplace. You're not allowed, you have to speak a trade language like Hindi, It's kind of beneath them. It's this dirty language. 
And so David goes out to Bihar, and they have this thing called a proclaimer box, which is basically just like a speaker with a solar panel on it. And they've got loaded on the proclaimer box Genesis 1 through 3 in Angika. And so they go out to this field, and they gather a few people around in this village, and they hit play. And they start playing Genesis 1 through 3 in this mother tongue. And men stop working in the fields and they come over to this area. Women stop laundering the clothes and they stop by. Children stop running and playing and they gather around and they're hearing Genesis 1 through 3. And it gets done. And the local leader asks David, he says, hey, is there anything you want to ask these people? So David says, what did it mean to you? Through three different translators. And a woman who had been there since the very beginning, she raised her hand and she spoke. And through three different translators, it got back to David that she said, I always thought there was one God who created everything, but I never knew it until I heard it in my own language. I always thought there was one God who created everything, but I never knew it until I heard it in my own language. That the Lord is one. That there is one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all is a truth somehow buried deep in our bones. It's a truth that we can reason to metaphysically, philosophically, but here in Deuteronomy 6, it's neither in our bones or reason to metaphysically, it's a truth revealed by God. Revealed by the one Lord, Yahweh of Israel, because the Lord is one. That's the first half of the Shema, but the second half comes in verse five. In verse five it says, you must love the Lord your God with your whole mind, your whole being, and all your strength. All right, so the Lord is one, the Lord is our God, and you gotta love that Lord with, sometimes it's translated, your heart, your soul, your might. Mind, being, strength. With everything, right? You gotta love God with, in other words, all that you have, your whole self. And this gets back to that first word, Shema, here, because in Hebrew, that word, it means more than just listen, right? It actually also includes the response to what you're listening to, right? It includes your response of obedience. It's like when we talk to our kids or when our parents talk to us, right? And they say, thank you for listening to me or why didn't you listen to me? What they typically mean, what we mean is not primarily the auditory component there, right? We're actually saying thank you for corresponding your action to what I said. Thanks for doing what I told you to do or why did you do what I not told you not to do, right? We're actually talking about that obedient response and that's what comes here in the second half of the Shema. It says God is one, God is undivided, right? So your love for God must be undivided. Your love for God must be unified. You must love God with all of yourself. In other words, the only God of everything calls us to love only him with everything. 
God calls us to hear that he is the one God who created all things, and he calls from us an obedient response to love, and not just a feeling love, but a decision, a devotion, a commitment, a complete whole of ourselves devoted to God in love. This is the most important thing. This is it. You know how we know that? Jesus. Remember a lawyer asks Jesus, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. It's completely foundational. Jesus says all the law and the prophets hang on these two things. Love God, love your neighbor. We don't emblazon that on our Springs t-shirts because it's a catchy phrase. We do it because it's the most important thing. Love God with everything and then love others as yourselves. It's absolutely fundamental because everything hangs on that. I don't know if y'all have ever paid much attention to the very large subwoofer that hangs above Ben's and my heads when we're up here preaching, but I've thought about it. Maybe you've never imagined it falling on me. Now you will. And it's actually held up there as you can see in these photos, by basically just two shackle bolts, two clamps, right? So there's a lot hanging on those two things. My continued existence on this earth for 25 minutes every other Sunday is hanging on those two things. Those are very important to me. I hope they're important to you. To be suspended from something, to be dependent upon something, makes that thing really, really important. Right? And Jesus says all the law and the prophets, the whole Old Testament, the founding document of his people, right? The constitution of Israel hangs on love God and love others. It's absolutely vital to know that God is the greatest and he deserves our everything because the Lord is one. Eli McCoy sent an email to the leadership this past week that had some links to some good articles and some interesting surveys. Uh, and one of them I clicked on uh, was some of the data, you've probably heard similar things, but this data said that about 10 years ago, 20% of Americans answered on this survey that religion is the most important, important thing in their lives. Now, it's saying 10 years later, that number's down to 16%, which may not sound like that much, 4%, but that's over 13 million people. That's more people that live in Oklahoma, Kansas, and Colorado combined. 
And I, I'm interested to know how the question would be answered if it was, you know, said God instead of religion, but it goes to show that around us, in some of our immediate neighbors, ostensibly God is becoming less important. Now, there's also a part of me that wants to argue that whatever is most important in your life is, in some sense, your religion, right? Whatever is, is central and unsurpassable and all-encompassing, in some sense, kind of has a religious sense for you, right? But most of us, for most of us, that thing is probably ourselves, right? A lot of us worship at the first church of me, right? We, we wake up every morning, and it's just kind of our sinful, broken human nature to kind of wake up, and it's also natural to think about ourselves, but we, we sometimes want to assert ourselves as a lowercase g God of our own universe, right? And we walk around, and everybody trying to sell us stuff is trying to kind of bolster that belief in us that we are the most important thing and that these desires in us need to be satisfied by the thing we can buy from them. You know, I was thinking this last week, what is, what is the longest stretch of your day, of our days, where we go without, not saying sleep, but where someone doesn't try to sell us something? I mean, pretty much every time we pick up our phones, Somebody on there is trying to sell us something. As I ride around in my car and listen to podcasts, they've got advertisements and uh, my eyes are seeing billboards. And you know, I think of my sister who lives in Times Square. And when I leave her apartment and walk just a little ways, I'm in this neon onslaught of everybody trying to sell me something because I'm the most important thing and I'm the little god of my own universe. It's easy to forget what it all really hangs on. It's, it's very easy to be distracted from what is truly most important. Right? We forget that it hangs on God. And so God tells Israel later in this text, you got to remember and here's how you do it. You've got to remember what is truly foundational. He says, these words I'm commanding you today must be kept in mind, and you must teach them to your children and speak of them as you sit in your house, as you walk along the road, as you lie down, and as you get up. You should tie them as a reminder on your forearm and fasten them as symbols on your forehead. Inscribe them on the door frames of your houses and gates. God says, I'm commanding you to love me with everything that you have, so it's going to take everything you have. It's going to take when you rise and when you go to sleep and speaking to your kids about it and walking on the road and when you're at home, you, you should put something on your arm, fasten it to your forehead. This is the most important thing. Love God, love others. And I think we see evidence this morning that this church and our parents have been giving that to our children because it's the greatest thing they can give them. In fact, uh, Laura's dad, Larry, who some of you know, uh, he is a woodsman, uh, woodworker and a craftsman, 
and he built their house, I've said before, that Lara grew up in in Fort Gibson. So there's a lot of beautiful exposed wood. It's wonderful. And you can imagine that he was a little bit shocked when he walked up the stairs to Lara's bedroom when she was still a teenager and found that she had begun to paint on the exposed wood in her room without asking. But she wasn't painting her current crush's name or the lyrics of a pop song. She was painting scripture. She was actually following very literally Deuteronomy 6, verse 9. And so her parents, you know, you kind of want to be mad, but you can't really be because it's scripture. Laura knew that truth of Deuteronomy 6, 9, that truth that is all the more true today, that there are so many distractions around us. There is so much that people want to sell us, and they want to sell us on us being the most important thing in the universe. But the Lord is one, and that Lord calls us to love him with everything, and we need reminders to do that. We need reminders to live from that place of trust in his love. You know, I love Deuteronomy 6 here because, in a sense, our modern behavioral psychology is kind of just catching up to this idea here. This idea that our environment is really important for how we live, right? It's not just about our individual wills and the choices we make. Where we live, the setting in which we live, what's around us, the reminders, it, it matters a great deal. In fact, uh, James Clear talks about this in his book, Atomic Habits. He mentions this research that these Dutch researchers did in the 1970s where there was these energy crises and an oil embargo. And so they started paying more attention to the energy use in their country. And what they found was there were these houses in neighborhoods that were using 30% less energy than their neighbors. 30% less, the houses were basically almost identical, except for one feature, the placement of the electrical meter. In some of these houses, the electrical meter was down in the basement, and in the ones using 30% less, it was in the main hallway. So it's not surprising to know that when you can see the electrical meter, you start to use your energy a little more wisely because things at eye level catch our attention. They remind us. They help us live in the ways we need to live. So what God is saying in Deuteronomy 6 is don't put my word in the basement. Put my word in the main hallway. Put it where you can see it. Surround yourselves with it. Surround yourself with a community that can remind you again and again every day that you're not the God of your own little kingdom. The Lord is one. He is God, and he calls us to love him with our heart, soul, mind, strength, being. And he calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Everything hangs on that. So we need to hear it. We need to hear it often. We need to hear it a second time. It needs to be repeated so we don't forget. And that's precisely where 
it comes to at the end of our text in verses 12 and 13. It says, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, that place of slavery. You must revere the Lord your God, serve him, and take oaths using only his name. These are words that are so important, they bear repeating. And they do get repeated. They get said again in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is facing down the powers of sin and death. He's facing down the devil in the wilderness. And Satan tempts him in a series, and Jesus quotes three times from the same biblical book, Deuteronomy. Three times. And in the third time, it says that the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their grandeur. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you throw yourself to the ground and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, for it is written, you are to worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and angels came and began ministering to his needs. Satan tempts Jesus with all these things. He tempts him with the grandeur of the kingdoms of this world. But Jesus says, serve only God. Jesus says, serve the Lord alone. Because Jesus knows that everything hangs on that. Everything is depending upon it. And everything depends upon the Son who obeys the word of the Father and goes all the way to the cross and gives himself on behalf of God and neighbor. Gives himself for the whole universe. Jesus shows us what's primary, what's most important, what we need to surround ourselves and remind ourselves of every moment of every day that the Lord is one and that he calls us to love him with all of ourselves, with everything we have. Because this is the foundation of reality. If you've lost your grip on that, if you're struggling to believe it, if you've forgotten, let the Holy Spirit remind you deep in your bones this morning that the Lord is one, God loves you, and not only that, 1 John tells us that God is love. So God calls us, after giving us his living word, Jesus Christ, to reflect that word back to him again, to say with our lives the word of Jesus who shows us what is truly vital. Church, some things are so important, they need to be said again. So let me say it one more time as we stand and sing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Let's praise him.